As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, thank you all for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, where we are helping leaders succeed in relationships work, community, and life. I'm so thankful that you're here joining us, and I'd like to welcome to the studio Tracy Sponnenberg, Chief People Officer of the Granite Group, leader of Disrupt HR New Hampshire, and HR Rebooted co-founder, also a podcast host, and we am very excited to have Tracy here. Most importantly, a social media friend that I've met through the HR Social Hour and many other HR networks. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And we've never met in person, right? I think I remember. That's correct. This year was supposed to be the year right, to tour the, right. the Sherm circuit. So, <laughs> the what a year it's been. HR but people thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So, one of the things, Tracy, that we wanted to focus on today. So, as you know, to our guests and listeners and community, We're trying to follow leaders who are leading well, who are leading boldly, who are getting the future of work right and trying to inspire others and striving every day to do that. So one of the things, Tracy, I've been very inspired about is a few topics. One, who you are as a human and your vulnerability and leadership. Number two and three, the conversations that you're very open about having regarding the CHRO and CEO relationship and the importance of that. And number three, the people-centric cultures, right? How do we as leaders build people-centric cultures? So I'd love to go into that starting with people-centric cultures, what it means to you, how you believe we need to lead differently, what you're encouraging others, and then what you've learned through that, your own journey. Um, that you could share with our listeners and community. Sure. Do you want me to just go? You can. You can. No, you go ahead. So uh, what I was going to share is it comes across that this is something you're super passionate about, right? And that you're trying to inspire and encourage. So where does that come from? How do you see it making an impact on humans and also businesses by having people-centric cultures? So I think I saw a tweet not too long ago, and I can't recall who this was from, but it was just like very eye-rolly, and can we please stop talking about people-centric cultures? Cultures are people-centric, which I get. They should be in a perfect world, but they're not everywhere by any stretch of the imagination. And this is something that took me a long time to get, a long time to get, because when you work in the field of human resources. And now I describe myself as a a business executive who specializes in people, right? But when you grew up in that field of personnel, worse of personnel like I did, then that really denotes, okay, fill out this form, sign this document. Here's the handbook. I'm going to take a year to create the handbook. And here it is. And just leading by policies. And that's what I thought HR was for a long, 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 long time. And that was my experience in several different companies. I think I started to change a little bit in my last company, and I really changed in this company, this first company 
or this my current company at the Granite Group because they lead that way. And that starts with the CEO, but leading with basically people in mind, which sounds really pretty normal and just like the thing that you should do. But I have conversations all the time with people who don't work in organizations like that all the time. Putting your people first in everything that you do, investing the money, investing the time, doing the right thing always. It's pretty simple, but it's often super hard to achieve. So with individuals who say they're listening and go, you know, you mentioned your business executive first. I wish my HR leader would say that, right? How do we get there? How do we as non, how do non-HR executives enable that? And then how do HR executives need to rise to that? What shifts did you have in your own career? How did you make help make that happen? What's the CEO's mindset that's different today than the ones you've been with previously as well? So I think that just started with my last CEO, who was a really strong mentor for me. He was a really great coach and really helped me learn what strategy was. And I had participated in strategic planning before and had been part of the process, but I really learned in this company, which was owned by a private equity company. So it ran at a faster pace. And I found that that pace matched my own. And I really thrived there. After I went through, uh, oh my God, what did I get myself into for a little while? And, and I thrived there. And that helped me see my potential. And so I think, you know, you have to have a CEO or a business leader who's willing to invest the time in that relationship with the head of HR. And you have to have the head of HR who's willing to invest the time in that relationship with the CEO and for both. And I've spoken to both HR groups recently and a CEO group recently about this. And I I say the same thing. You have to do some really deep internal work. You have to really, with everything, you have to look at yourself first. So if you have somebody on your team who's underperforming, look at yourself first. So are you providing them with all of the tools that they need to succeed? If we're looking at terminating a team member anywhere, the first question I have is, are they aware? Did we coach that person? What did we do Did we do the things that we need to be doing to hold up our end of the deal? There aren't necessarily bad people. There may be people who aren't cut out for certain roles, but oftentimes when somebody isn't successful in a role, it's the company's fault. It's a leader's fault for not setting the tone for the company. So we have to look at ourselves first and foremost. And I know I was terrible at that for a long time. And and my life and career really took off when I did that. But that's hard. It's really hard and it's painful. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, and we talk about so often, is that strategy, the strategy of an organization is only achieved through people, right? So as we start looking at individuals as our ambassadors, not our adversaries, and we take a mindset shift to say, you know, I, we tell people, Tracy, often that you as an individual are 100% responsible for your development. And then us as employers should also view ourselves as 100% responsible to help you develop and grow, right? And if those two things marry up together, because why would you not invest in your people and view people as the only asset that can really help you achieve your objectives and goals? When you mentioned that your last CEO helped you unpack and understand strategy more, we do work, our firm works with over 30% private equity 
owned or backed companies. And there's a different pace. There's also a different level of expectation of what we're driving to achieve, right? It's not a lifestyle business. This is a business that we're coming in here to create impact, create return for our stakeholders. So what did you specifically learn from that experience that you didn't go in that role with? So it was really structured, which my current company is not quite as much, although yes, through strategic planning. So I was, for the first time, this was about 10 years ago when I started, for the first time in a position where, okay, every month you're going to put together a deck for the HR department and you're going to report out on these KPIs and you are going to measure X, Y, and Z. So there was a lot behind what I did really for the first, there was always a lot behind what I did. So, but I functioned, I think for a lot of years, I was a a department of one. I functioned in a more of a general, generalist capacity, even though I was leading, but this was the first time since my early days at in a global company that I really was like, wow, this is a serious leadership role. I better know what the heck I'm doing and step up to the plate. There were these things in place that I didn't really have. So people came from really large companies. People came from private equity. People He built a leadership team, handpicked different people from different areas. And I just had a, a wonderful support network of people who could help me grow or I could fail if I didn't pull myself up and really figure out what I was doing. So it was hard, but I loved it. And it, it taught me an awful lot. And with the strategy component, is that the first time in a while that you were brought in to say, we know the people function is a business enabler and we need you attached to the strategy more directly? No, I think I had that. My first head of HR job, I was 26 and worked for a newspaper and publishing company, but it was a 180 people, family-owned business, really small. And I remember interviewing with, there was a publisher who was essentially the CEO and he talking about the importance. And this was in the late 90s, him talking about the importance of HR and HR will always be critical. And so we had, it was different. So we always had wasn't an executive team per se, but his direct reports, we met regularly and we were planning how to lead the company, how to bring the company forward. So, But it wasn't in a traditional strategic way. So I, I hate the term seat at the table. I really do because there's so much behind that. But I've always been there in some way, shape or form, except a brief stint at a law firm for about a year. But I've always been there in some way. It just looked a lot different depending on where I was. And as you, so this this month's theme for us is all around strategy deployment, mm-hmm. strategy alignment and deployment. So have you seen an organization where you came in and the people role wasn't, the individual wasn't elevating the business and that you had to come in and kind of re-enable, turn on, unlock the potential that was going on in the organization? Yeah, uh, this is my third company, I followed somebody who was terminated. So whenever that happens, there's whatever reason that was for, there's a lot of work that has to be done. So in one company that I was at briefly, I had to do a lot of culture work to get to build trust. And another company, the last company I was at, there was an acquisition that wasn't necessarily handled in the best way. So again, we had to build a lot of trust 
and start over. And that the person who was there before wasn't necessarily elevated to the level of strategy, but there was a new CEO. He immediately did. So I, I had that trust. In this position, there was somebody there for a short period of time. And then there was somebody there for a long period of time who started and grew the function and was a sole HR practitioner for a really long period of time. And certainly was very close with our current CEO, certainly had his ear, certainly participated in the strategy. But the company, when she was there, was a totally different company than it is now. So we had to really reinvent ourselves as a company. And HR was participating in a much different way. I mean, hence being the chief people officer. And that was really important to to me and to my CEO that, and he said to me, your role and you are every bit as important as the CFO, the COO. So it, it should be a chief people officer. We went back and forth between HR and people for a while, but settled on people. And your the size and scale of your organization for our listeners, I mean, your company is pretty significant in size. Uh, not, I mean, we're still considered a small to mid-sized business. We've got 600 people, but we've got 45 loca- locations. So we have a lot of locations on average, eight to 10 per location. Yeah. Most of our organizations that we, we kind of have in Cincinnati, we work with the large publicly traded companies. Our sweet spot globally is family and privately held businesses mm-hmm. that usually range in a couple of billion or in less mm-hmm. and might be divisions of, right? 600 yeah. million, 200 million. And in some cases, we have some incredible leaders who follow this podcast, who are on our membership. Our digital leadership platform is their kind of learning management system that are CEOs that are leading boldly that are running 15 to $50 million companies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But know they can make an impact. So as you're looking at that listener that says, you know, okay, I'm the, I'm the president of the organization and I don't know if I have the right leader in place or if I'm enabling that, right? If I'm helping charge that leader with the right leadership aspects of our business, the right business strategies, and not really looking at unlocking potential in people, how the HR function should operate. What would you provide to encourage that person to think differently tomorrow? I think I would encourage them first to have a conversation with that, have an open conversation with that HR leader and just pick their brain on where do you see us as a company? What's your understanding of our business strategy? Where, tell me about your people strategy. Make sure that they have one. Make sure that it matches the business strategy. Ask them how they lead. Just ask a lot of different questions to try to deeply understand what that person is doing, how that person is doing. I'm in a small, small to medium-sized family-owned company, and I think in a lot of companies like ours, we often have HR leaders who work their way up or who function in a very tactical capacity as well as strategic. And you know, that's great to a point, but there is a certain point where you need to have an HR leader. And I think we're certainly seeing this now through COVID, who is going to be bold and courageous and challenge the CEO and disagree and put their foot down and just generally be somewhat of a pain when it comes to people issues, right? So beat that drum constantly. 
that wasn't the case. That wasn't our function when I started in my career, but that is now. And my CEO and I disagree regularly. You know, at the end of the day, he's a CEO. If there were ever something, and I know this wouldn't happen with him, there were ever something that were ethical, unethical or illegal, I would quit and leave in a heartbeat. I'm fortunate that won't happen. But at the end of the day, he's a CEO and I'll get on board, but I will fight to the death for people. Yeah, we talk about, Tracy, the definition of culture. I'm sure many of our listeners can now repeat it, but is the individual experiences that countless experience, the thousands and thousands of interactions that our people have each and every day is really what defines what goes on here and how people experience the organization. Have you found that through the the closer that you've become with your CEO and executive team, the better the experiences that the rest of the organization are feeling as employees, as team members and associates? Absolutely. I think that's 100% the case. And I think there's no better example through that than COVID, going through COVID. And you can read 100 articles on this that your culture will either help you really do well through a crisis or that will sink you through a crisis and how you lead. Yep. Yep, exactly. And how you lead through a crisis. So we entered this contest where we had to do an engagement survey in June, beginning of June of all times, right? So the middle of COVID, we had to do that. And we decided to enter it because it's a, we made the list last year. And so we did it and we didn't. So we ended up doing an engagement survey smack in the middle of turmoil. We had the highest, not only higher than, way higher than their benchmarks, but the highest kind of scores we've ever had on any kind of survey we've ever done. And that was in the middle. And so what that told us was that our strategy, and we had a strategy on how we were approaching communication, over-communicating, being right out there as soon as we knew something good, bad, or ugly, our CEO regularly visiting our locations safely and in the middle of keeping our people safe. All of these things that we did immediately at the beginning of March and kept up through and still keep up through, our people felt that. And so I think that that is a prime example. And I think this is going to be, my son's going through interviews now for full-time jobs. And this is a question he's asking. How did you lead your people through COVID, right? Because this is going to be a benchmark for companies going forward. Yeah. Yeah. People will remember for decades how you've made them feel this year, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. what we've listened to, what we've heard versus just what we've told, how we're responding to the people needs to our employees' needs, our team members' needs, and to those that may unfortunately now be alumni of your organization that you didn't want to shed. How did we handle that? How did we handle that process? How do we help them? And that's also part of our long-term strategy, right? That how we make people feel matters a lot. And they're either going to be brand ambassadors for you or brand detractors. This is when real leadership shows up, right? 100%. People should have a consistent experience from before they think of applying for your company to the end. And this is a big initiative for us. So you should treat people as well as they're leaving the company as you do as they're coming in and completely all the way through. And that's hard to get right, but it's critical to get right. Tracy, one of the quotes that I quoted you as we were (laughs) prepping for this conversation, you said, 
that people are the reason you're in business and you have no business having a business if you don't recognize that. Right. Right. So we all have people in our business unless we're sole proprietors. And there are so many companies, so many companies, I'm sure you see it, I see it, that don't get that. And if you don't understand why you're here and what you're here for, why have a business? Our people are literally our purpose. And that sounds like a cliche, but it's really not for us. We sell a product that you can buy. Our CEO talks about this all the time within five miles of all of our locations, usually for cheaper. It's a horrible business model. We're a wholesaler, right? But people come to us because our people are awesome and they provide exceptional service. But we do that for them. And we're always looking to improve. We're always trying to improve that, what we're doing for our people, always. We don't rest and we never will. Tracy, what are some questions that we can all ask our people right now to help them, to show them that they are our priority and to be there for them during a time like we're in now. How are you feeling? And how's your mental health? And what can I do for you? I think those are three things to start with. One of the things that we did, because we have so many people and so distributed, we have our HR team checking in with everyone. But more importantly, we have our managers and our our directors who know our folks intimately and they see them every day asking these questions. How are you? What can I do to help you? How is your mental health? And then don't just ask the questions, but help and provide EAP resources, time off, be flexible, do everything that you can to help people get through. One of the things that we've done is we don't qualify for the FFCRA. We're too large, so we don't have those leaves, but you have a sniffle. We don't want you in because who knows, right? So we're just paying. We're not hitting PTO. We're just paying people who are ill. We're taking away that stress of that financial burden of missing work. And yes, it costs money, but it's a relatively simple thing that you can do for a hopefully somewhat temporary situation. Well, let's move into strategy because I believe, are you in the middle of your three-year plan or just getting ready to start Mm -hmm. also a new one? We're in the middle. Okay. So what are you doing real time for strategy alignment for the upcoming year and evaluating any setbacks, any, you know, I don't, I don't think many of us had threats on our SWOT analysis of a global pandemic coming up. So what is your team doing, hashing through the themes and the way you're going to approach the next year? So when I say we're in the middle of our strategic plan, we're in the middle of our strategic planning. So we meant to start in June with an in-person retreat. Obviously, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And we had a lot of discussion about how do we do a strategic plan during COVID, right? What does that look like? First of all, it looks like this. It looks like Zoom. Yeah. Looks like 44 people over Zoom. And we're in the middle of it. And we broke it up in sections throughout the course of several weeks. And we have a facilitator we've worked through for, with for years. And looking at the theme of what got us here won't get us there. So trying to have some real breakthrough thinking and trying to inspire our people to really think outside the box. I had a friend of mine, John Greenwald, who works, he's a chief performance officer for 15.5, which is a really cool tech company. He spoke virtually and kind of, he did a disrupt HR talk a while ago on this and kind of tried to inspire people to think outside the box because 
a lot of our people grew up from within the company and haven't had a lot of experiences outside the Granite Group. So we've really tried to run that through. And it's interesting, and we're still in the middle of it, so we'll see what emerges. But the things that came through, and we broke up into groups, and we had our leadership team and emerging leaders all participating. Okay. And the themes, the dominant themes, the two most dominant themes are people, people-related themes, learning and and people, recruiting, retaining people. It came across in our profitability groups and in our IT groups and I think almost all of our groups, people. So that will be interesting to see where that goes. That's never happened before. There's been some portion of it. And we have a company where our CEO, we will always have a people-focused goal and probably more than one, but that's exciting. That it threads through every facet of our organization how important people are. So you referenced 44 people going Mm. through a strategic planning process. I'm sure many caught that and said, how would we ever get that accomplished? What's the thought going into that of why so many? I think it's brilliant and genius, by the way. But why so many? How did you select? And how do you manage the feedback loops as a part of the strategy development? Yeah, so we used to do strategy where our executive team, those of us in the executive team would meet, discuss some themes and then take it out to the broader leadership team where leadership team would be directors and above. So directors, VPs and C-suite. So that's like 32 people. So we have an additional dozen or so who are emerging leaders. So we have a program called TGG University, which is an extension of leadership for our emerging leaders. And these are the people that will likely get tapped on the shoulder next to run a location to step up into. And we've already started pulling people out of that. And we're giving them the skills and the opportunities to succeed in a leadership role. And so we had the thought, I think this was actually our CFO had the thought, well, we're all on the leadership team. We've been doing this kind of job for a while. And this shouldn't have been revolutionary, but it was like, it was. Let's get some new voices in, and in some cases, people that have been with our company for a short period of time, people that just came out of school. And, and I tell you, I want, the strategy team that I run has several, three people in this Emerging Leaders Program. They're fantastic, fantastic. And so incredible ideas. They're not afraid to sh- speak their mind. You know, So we've talked about this a lot. I have so much hope for the future of our company, seeing these folks go through this process. It's really amazing. And it shouldn't be. I know you and I have talked about this. It shouldn't be revolutionary. But for us, it really was a huge step. Well, it is, Tracy. And for those listening, I mean, you can probably say either, yep, that's us. Get seven people in the room every so often or 12 people. Some people, it's less than that, right? And organizations wonder, why did we not achieve it? right? Or why was it so hard? And what we say often, which is why I love about exactly what your team is doing, we tell individuals, right, if we lead your strategic planning process, we're going to ask who are emerging leaders, who are people that you believe would gain so much and provide so much if they even had a voice to ask, but may even be uncomfortable coming into that room, right? Right. So there's a first couple of meetings where you're building confidence, you're boosting their confidence, but you invited them for a reason. Now, all of a sudden you start going, oh, of course, right? If we're going to achieve anything, 
we need people bought in. The best way to get people bought in is to bring in people that others know, like, and trust and are going to say, oh, that's why we're doing that, right? So it completely unlocks the potential for achieving vision, goals, and objectives. Yeah. And so few do it. So few do it. And I think it helped this year. You asked about logistics and I didn't really answer that, but over Zoom was, I was like, this is crazy. It's great. We got the chat feature. We have breakout rooms. We, it, it was much more comfortable. I'm an introvert. You know that. Not everybody knows that, but it's much more comfortable even for someone like me looking at a screen instead of standing up in a room full of people. So logistically, it's been wonderful. Yeah, the other dynamic there is that when teams start using that extra time that you have in physical meetings where people are convening and talking is a key time of business getting done and utilizing the chat and not getting offended that there's this dialogue going on and it's more quiet, but there's a dialogue going on because people have ideas that are coming to their head and they need to put them down. Hey, did anyone just hear that? Double click, double check. It's excellent for the facilitator when you do that. So thank you for those that do that because the facilitator can read that and build off of and using Zoom a different way versus just, oh, I'm listening to it. You know, a lot of people are starting to turn off their cameras and get the cameras back on, keep engaged, encourage dialogue and people sharing. And it sounds like, and how you've used breakout rooms and all of this for this group. It's not, and you also have subgroups, right? So we do have the yes. strategy that'll be built, but you have subgroups yep. building components of the strategy. One of the coolest things, we do have subgroups. And one of the coolest things we did with the strategy sessions and Zoom was we have the teams report out, the people team that I lead reports out. But then we go into the breakout sessions. We don't go into those groups. We go into random groups and have discussions. And that generates even more thoughts. So we're paired up with people that we're not working with on a regular basis. So our executive search firm that's 45 years strong is going through a um, pretty detailed strategic planning process as we come to a conclusion at the end of this year to launch our next one. Seeing our own team go through it now, it's different now, right? We're looking at, I mean, even me, I found myself in a couple meetings. I'm always thinking five to 10 years out. And I found myself in a couple meetings say, hey, 2021, like we just need to get yep. through 2021, <laughs> right? But there's a lot of organizations that haven't had the amount of difficulty that others have this year. And, but now's a great time for a refresher. And it's yeah. also a great time to get people on the strategy, right? So involving right. people, it's a good time just to refresh even to do that. Like, let's, let's do a little bit of a refresh and let's bring 20 other people in and have a really good facilitator to help navigate that discussion. But yeah. those 20 people could impact 300 very quickly. Well, and that's why we did it because, you know, this is such an, a crazy, uncertain year. And if people, we've had to reinvent ourselves a hundred times this year and we're already in that mindset. So why not use some of that mindset to think of, how are we going to reinvent ourselves for the next three to five years? So when we asked the three questions Mm. that you referenced about our team, how are you feeling? How is your mental health? What can I do for you? Can we talk about how that people first, people centric behavior has shown up for yourself 
And then also for your team, like what kind of feedback are you getting? What are you learning? What are you doing different personally and for your team that you weren't doing earlier this year? Yeah, I think for me, personally, embracing vulnerability was huge for me. And that's something I don't think I did very well before this year. But I'll share this and I shared this with my leadership team because this is important to see vulnerability as a leadership strength and not a weakness. But my mom passed away in August and found out at the beginning of February that she had two weeks to live and she lasted six months. And so I was dealing with, I visited her twice, thankfully, she was in Florida, dealing with the grief that comes along with that, waking up every day, not knowing if today was the day and not making the decision to not go see her. I couldn't for a while and then I couldn't. So it was tough. And the emotional weight of 600 people who were scared to death of this virus and what was going to happen to the virus in our company and for a while. And, you know, within the first couple of months, we got a bit more of a handle and it was still a, a wild ride, but it was really tough. So that's when I kind of started sharing things on, on LinkedIn and embracing like, hey, I'm not okay. Like today sucks and I'm really having a hard time. And that opened me up personally to a whole bunch of new things that created a new level of connection with my team in sharing that. We started meeting virtually daily and we still meet. My HR team meets every single day via Zoom or Google Hangouts every day. And we talk about these kind of things because we need to have that connection in order to help our people who are going through some similar things. And I realized that I wasn't great at dealing with loss and I wasn't great at dealing with being there for people. So I've really changed how I approach that. And we take a very personal approach. So if somebody's going through a tough time, we'll bend over backwards to get them every single thing that they need. And that included me. That included me. I'm an employee too, right? So I'm going through a tough time. My CEO checked on me every single day. How are you doing first? And then how's mom? So every day, as difficult as that was to have, he was, after we told the kids and my husband, he was the first call that I made when I heard about when my mom passed away. And so when you have that level of support from the CEO, that really sets the tone for the rest of the company. So we just, we try to emulate that and make sure we're leading people first and helping and supporting. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear the journey Thank you've you. been on. And, and so many have. I mean, I- Yeah, I'm not alone. There's so many individuals who have went through losing a loved one in this experience and not been able to visit and not been able to do the things we normally would. And that takes its own toll, right? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've been open. You know, some executives act like they have a, always a suit of armor on and can't share anything. Right. It sounds like you've led first by sharing your own journey and getting people to open up about that. I talked about it in a leadership team meeting uh, not too, very recently because we were talking about, hey, talk to your people, you know, make sure this is uncomfortable. Ask them these questions. I said, 30 people there. I said, lots of you don't know. And here's my journey. And then after in our executive team, my CEO talked about that. And he said, you know, that was an example of strong leadership and, you know, talked about that to the leadership team. And, and we never talked about, we're 85% male filled with mostly plumbing former plumbers and contractors, right? So we don't talk about vulnerability and empathy, but we do now. Yeah. So we do now, but 
somebody's got to model that and you have to be willing to live that journey yourself and walk in those shoes in order for people to be vulnerable with you. Yeah, it's been interesting, Tracy. I know there's been dialogue around that both vacation time, right? People are not taking vacation like they once did. Part of that is because there's a lot going on. Part of it's also because of fear that will I be next if I take vacation, right? There's been lots of dialogue about that. And we really, I encourage all of you listening, we really need to get rid of that theory. And the best way to do it is to model it, model the behavior, right? Our people, we're all exhausted. I mean, I took my first long weekend just last month. I hadn't. I was doing the exact same thing, right? And my team was like, I'd really encourage you to take a long weekend. And they happened to schedule it on my calendar. I'm still not certain I would have been strong enough to do it myself. But then the other dynamic is the pause is necessary and encouraging our team to be vulnerable. The best place to start there is for us to go first, right? Right. Once they hear it from us, they're like, oh my goodness, I never knew that. Now they know more about you and they're going to be willing to share about them. Right. Which is that listening component. Let's listen to our people. Let's ask those questions that Tracy posed earlier. How are you feeling? How is your mental health? What can I do for you? And then let's close our mouths and listen with two ears, right? So, Tracy, are there other things that you're looking into in in the next year, coming month, to just help create that people first culture and make sure that everyone understands that they are your highest priority? hundred things, really. We're rebranding from HR to what's probably going to be a people team. And we brought in internally a people experience manager to look at and revitalize our entire people experience. We're trying to figure out how we can communicate better. We're trying to have regular conversations without, because I used to be in the locations all the time, And I'm still visiting some, but very carefully and strategically because it's not necessarily safe to have a bunch of people going into a bunch of locations all the time. So we're reinventing the way we do things. We did this about five years ago when I started. We're doing it again. And what I've told my team, we're going through exercises now to try to think in an innovative way. Nothing's off the table. Let's talk every day about all of these creative ideas and things that we can do and ask people, what do they need? What are we missing? How can we be better? How can we do better? How can we meet the needs of our people in a different way? So we're continuing to look at that every single day. And I think you can't ever stop. That doesn't ever stop. You're not ever done. Yeah, the opportunity there to encourage that like, this isn't a trying to get, okay, I'm going to do three things that are people centric and then move on right? No. This has got to be, I love the fact you shared. I mean, there's so much we're trying to do because we're trying to respond to the needs of our people so that they can best help themselves when in their life. And then they can help us achieve what we're trying to achieve, right? Right. We talk so often that it's not just about work. We need people to win in relationships, work, community, and life. You help them unpack that potential and achieve greatness there. I've heard so many organizations say, Mike, I'm so thankful our company adheres to this culture and this belief system because now I can do my best work because they're helping me on things that historically have kind of gotten me stuck at times, right? So that's um, do this and businesses do win and leaders' relationships feel a lot more authentic. Absolutely. 
Tracy, as we wrap up this discussion today, one, thank you for being a part of this. And just, I'd love to see, is there anything else specifically you would like to leave our listening audience with? Yeah, we didn't really get to the CEO-CHRO relationship. And I think if you have people who are leading HR, and we touched on this a little bit, leading HR, people who are leading companies, that's such a critical relationship. And I talk about this, and I don't claim this because I read this somewhere. I got reluctantly into Game of Thrones after my son talked about it. But that relationship is almost like the hand to the king, right? So that kind of symbiotic relationship. If your company is really serious about leading people first, you need to have a great relationship. And there may need to be some tough conversations. There may need to be, in certain cases, changes and definitely some really deep internal work because I joined my company because of my CEO. I stay because of my CEO. It's the number one thing I look for. I can't do my job unless I like, trust, and respect the person that I'm working for who's leading the organization. And that is so critical. We talk about it a bit. Don't talk about it enough. Are there certain barriers that you know have to be broken in order to achieve that type of relationship? All of these things that we talked about, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open up. I've been here for five years. We did not start out with this relationship. We didn't have this relationship for years. And we talked about this, I actually going a little bit later to have coffee with my CEO. And and we talked about this last time we met. He was wondering why he didn't have the same relationship with me as he had with the person who started the function, who was there for 13, 14 years. And it was because it takes time to build that. And you can build it faster if you go through, I'm assuming that there's a lot of leaders who hired HR leaders who went through this crisis together, and maybe you build that relationship faster because you're having to do all of these things. But it takes time. So I think you need to be patient, have conversations, and put in the work to get to know each other so you can develop that relationship. And where do we start? Is it those conversations? Is it, are there certain dialogues we need to have? Are there one or two questions I can go ask today if I'm trying to like, yeah, I need to help and influence the right people, resources, and strategies for our business. I need all of my leadership team to feel as connected to me as my COO or my CFO. Yeah. One simple thing is that if you're a leader, you can ask for feedback. How am I doing? What can I do? I honestly want to know. I ask how you're doing to all of the people in your leadership team and be willing to accept and be vulnerable and change if there are things that you need to change. But we need to ask for feedback. We need to, as leaders, be willing to look at ourselves. So that's a great place to start. There's lots of things you can do, but that's a great place to start. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for all of this time, your insights, your perspectives. I hope those listening have enjoyed this conversation. There's been so many ideal nuggets here about organizations, about people leadership. And Tracy, thank you for your positive influence on me and what we do in this great community to get people to think about and put their people first as we build talent magnet organizations and talent magnet leaders. Thank you. Back at you, Mike. You've been a huge influence on me too. So it's a wonderful community we have. It's a great community. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.
The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.